Welcome to Asianish, a podcast created by two professionals who provide their insight and experiences on navigating the complex world of relationships, careers, and self-improvement as Asians trying to fit into Western society. There are Asians who have been told they're kind of Asian, but not really. Asianish. I'm Clinton, and I'm Wayne. Welcome to Asianish podcast. Clinton here.、Uh, before we get started for this episode, I、uh, just want to give a little bit of background. We did our first interview with our guest this、uh, today, and the interview went very well.、Uh, too well, perhaps, where we went quite long with our interview. There was just so much、uh, to discuss, and so many interesting conversation and tidbits to get out of out of our、uh, discussion that、um, we don't want to. Drag it all on into one episode, so this is going to be split into a two-parter as usual.、Uh, this episode will be released on a Tuesday, and then we're going to release the part two on a Thursday. So this week, you actually get two episodes. Consider it as our little bit of a, a U.S. Thanksgiving present to everyone for Black Friday.、Uh, so hope everyone have a, have a good listen and、uh, let us know if you enjoy it. Thank you. Hey everyone. Welcome back to Asianish Podcast.、Uh, my name is Clinton, and I've got my co-host Wayne with me today. Hello,、and、everybody. Also, we have a special guest, Rowena. Hey, How are you doing, Rowena? Hi, I'm good. Feeling cold. Winter's really setting in, but great. Thanks for having、awesome. me. I'm excited. Excited、thank、to have you, you. Thank you for yeah. Thank you for joining our podcast. You're like our first guest,、yeah. uh, you know, ever to record with. So, <laughs> like I like I was saying before the before we started recording, you were kind of like our guinea pig. So、uh, <laughs> yeah, we, we made mistakes on the call,、uh, but that's totally fine. We're we're just learning here, and、uh, I should put that on see, my LinkedIn. You can put your LinkedIn. Yeah, you're you're the podcast tester. So maybe that can make a career out of it, right? People、yeah. who who are recording with guests. You you always be the first one on. Yeah,、oh, I can make a living out of this. That's that's、oh, yeah, pretty awesome、idea. to me. <laughs> right. <laughs>、mm-hmm. Okay. But uh, like a brief uh introduction to、uh-huh. who Rowena is to our、yeah. uh to our listeners, Rowena Ong. I I keep I want to make sure I pronounce your last name right. O N G. Yes, you got it right. Yes. Rowena Ong, Ong. is <laughs> yeah. Is a Vancouver-based fashion stylist,、uh, creative director.、Uh, she works with a, a number of brands and also a lot of、uh, different photographers.、Uh, she's got a great Instagram, and、uh, and she's going to be talking with us today、uh, about some of her background growing up、uh, in Asian culture and also a bit about the the fashion industry.、Uh, you know, Wayne and I. We've t- had dedicated a whole episode before talking about fashion, so、mm-hmm. it's good to actually have someone who knows about fashion talk about fashion、yeah. instead of us as like two guys just like shooting the shit and like、mm-hmm. talk out of our ass and not know what we're saying. So that's why that's <laughs> why we decided to have Rowena here. You know? Yeah, yeah.、Yay. And I have to say, I have to say though,、mm-hmm. like I was、uh, just looking at、uh, Rowena's Instagram. Honestly, the feed looks amazing. So we'll we'll, we'll share Rowena's、uh, Instagram handles for everyone.、Uh, Honestly, though, you gotta check it out. I love the feed. I love the styling. Yeah, thank、um, you. Yeah, and, like, I miss a lot. Said, 
Yeah, and then we were just talking about men's fashion uh, in our previous episode. So let's, it's good mm-hmm. to have a female uh, uh, a stylist uh, or a specialist to talk about women's fashion. I think that's something that we can also, also talk about in this episode. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Thank you. Speaking, speaking of uh, Instagram, you know, that's a good transition to basically like, I know like Rowena is, is a friend of mine um, and, you know, I want to kind of spend a little time talking about how we met because mm-hmm. it's literally through Instagram that we met, right? Uh, mm-hmm. I think this was maybe a, a couple of years ago. And Rowena and I met through our uh, a mutual photographer friend. And we actually, the first time we met was to do a photo shoot together. Uh, yes, we did a style yeah. swap. We did a Ooh, style swap. Exactly. Nice. That was yes. right. So it wasn't, it wasn't just even like the fact that we just, we had to do a photo shoot, but it was a, with a theme of style swap. So um, where we sent each other, like you were super professional even back then. And you were like, okay, we're going to do a mood board. Let me send you some pictures wow. and then you put some photos. Yeah, That's it was amazing. like, it was and it wasn't like the photographers asked for it. It was just the mm-hmm. fact that the Rowena was like, you know, I'm going to show up. I'm going to get my shit together yeah. and we're going to we're going to shoot some good photos. I don't mm-hmm. want this dude, you know, showing up half ass. So I mm-hmm. remember we met up at a coffee shop and we actually discussed, planned it out, what kind of outfits we would do. I think like I brought my computer and we were flicking through photos. Like You brought your tablet. I was just like, oh, man, he brought I a brought tablet. tablet. <laughs> yeah, I was like, yeah, I brought my tablet. I had my game face on. And, nice. and yeah, the same tablet I'm using right now to uh, for this recording. Right. Um, and I remember, yeah, we did the shoots. You, like, you kind of, I forgot, like, I, I had, what did I, I'm trying to think back to what I wore. But I basically. You wore a on. dark green army jacket and, oh, um, and a graphic t-shirt. It was a lot more on the street or more grungier side because that's right. usually that where my fa- yeah. that was at the time that was where your fashion was you were on the grungier side As, I, and then, I, so I, I took on i took on i took on the grungier aspects of, of yours like military grunge style and mm-hmm. i remember because based on what you've seen with me and i like the more tailoring side of things at the time you t- you actually wore like blazer and like kind of like a, a, a suit with 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 sneakers kind of thing i remember that now yes that's it. Wow. By the way, how long ago was this? This was like like three years ago, I think. Three or two and a half. Okay. This is around this is about two months before Clint got married. I remember oh, that because on oh. that day when we had a meeting, I we were yeah. I that was the first time I met Laura. Yeah. And yeah. then you guys were discussing a little bit of the wedding details with yes, like yes. with me. And I was like, oh gosh. But yes, yes yeah. that's how yeah. we ended up first meeting. But Okay. I remembered how we first ended up interacting with each other was um, I posted like my first New Year sort of styling sh- like shoot that I did. And then yeah, yeah, Clint yeah. commented on it. And that's how I ended up mm. um, okay. discovering his feed. And I really like I really liked his style because I feel mm-hmm. like yep. maybe it's just my circle, but I just feel like finally <laughs> I get to see some great men's yeah. content i men's agree content. thank you thank you i agree i agree you're, yes. you're like finally some some dude some asian guy who doesn't just wear like supreme box logo tees <laughs> and, and yeezys or some balenciaga yeah. triple s's <laughs> clinton yeah. has his own style so yeah you yeah I definitely whether it's agree. good or not it's up for debate but i it's do great. i do try to have Whatever. my own it's, it's amazing yeah. it's great <laughs> yeah and then was, through oh, yeah. clint i met wayne and then yeah. wayne has yeah. great style i love his aesthetic Oh, thank really? you. Yes. And he also <laughs> teaches his uh, followers how to make drinks, which is great. Oh, that's what I've been doing now. It's just honestly, I just started doing that uh, during COVID. So, yeah. yeah. 
I'll, oh, I'll, I'll awesome. need more drinks when I come back. Uh, we'll yeah. have more drink parties. If Definitely. it's safe to do so. <laughs> yeah, we'll, we're gonna, we'll, we'll, we'll follow the wall. We'll follow the wall. We'll do our social yeah, distance. Yeah. For sure. But, like, <laughs> Rowena, yeah, like we, I'm, I'm glad that you like both of our Instagram. That's a seal of approval from you know a fashion expert. Mm-hmm. But like, what do you think of this podcast? I, I know you listened to a couple of episodes. Uh, what do you What do you think about like the the Asianist theme that we go for, and and frankly, how we've been doing? You've probably heard a couple of the episodes already. Be be honest. We were totally fine with like accepting criticism. We're learning. Well, I mean, I think it's an important conversation to have because it's about it's talking about what it means to be an Asian first immigrant and having to navigate between two different sort of identities, between being not Eastern enough or Western enough for both ends, which is great. And I think it's also when it ties into fashion, it becomes important because we're, it, fashion kind of ties down with navigating identity because it allows you to give the sense of control of how you want to depict yourself for people who don't understand you. So yeah. that's what I like about what we're talking about. And it talks it talks a lot about everything. Mm-hmm. The only thing that I would say like I'm a little bit apprehensive about is yeah. like I remember the last time we talked, you guys were basically throwing shade at couples that dress alike. But I was explaining <laughs> to you. Yeah, I mean like no 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 no. I mean it makes sense because yeah, like yeah. if in like I mean I don't dress alike like my partner, but we do yeah, both yeah. wear a lot of black. Especially since oh, dyeing my hair blonde, I, I do wear a lot of, yeah, yeah. I, we wear a lot of black outfits without realizing yeah, yeah. it, that's but okay. that's couples okay. yeah. that dress I'm... alike, mm-hmm. yes, couples that dress alike do okay. so because they don't want, they because in places, in Asia, PDA is not allowed, yeah. it's considered mm-hmm. taboo, so it's yeah. the way they can express mm-hmm. their affection. But I know mm-hmm. what you mean. Sometimes yeah. like a couple we're, can we're only learning. wear so much Supreme, right? Yeah. 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 You come on the pod for a couple of minutes, you're already teaching us new stuff. But yeah. no, but here's where my stance on that is, is that I prefer, how do you say, I don't mind uh, color coordination. I don't mind certain style coordination, but I just don't want like a, a total mirror image. Like I, I get some people want the okay, sex look. Yeah, that's what we want. <laughs> yeah. if, if your outfit yeah. is exactly the same yeah. or like yeah. from the back, if let's say the girl also has short hair and I can't tell who the guy who who is who, like okay, that's 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 too much, right? That's too much matching. <laughs> uh, I, I don't mind like let's say like you said like like you know both of you showing up like in all black. I think that's pretty yeah. cool. I think that's but cool. I love black. Yeah, yeah, do it. But yeah, if, all, awesome. if both of you show up like let's say in the same black trench coat and the same you know Doc Martens or something, then then it's kind of like okay, now now you guys are going too far. Yeah, I guess before we kind of jump into to things. Uh, you know, I think today we want to talk to you about uh, you, like your life growing up uh, in here in Vancouver, in, in Western culture. I know you've got you actually grew up in some interesting places that you're going to tell us about that kind of shaped who, who you became, who you are. Uh, tell us a little more about your, your fashion kind of uh, career and, and your style. And, and then at the end, you know, we also want to just like as we, uh, Wayne and I've been talking about more recently is about relationships and kind of dating, maybe give some advice. I know there's a, a lot of male listeners or just even male audience in general who could really use some tips. Um, mm-hmm. But before we jump into that, you know, just how are you doing right now? Like, how are you doing during COVID? For me, um, during COVID, I didn't mind it as much. I think for me, I just, 
in person, I tend to talk pretty loud when I get excited, but I personally enjoy a lot of my alone time. And then being able to just entertain a lot of my own personal interests within my own pace was actually quite therapeutic for me. Right. And which was funny too. Uh, my, uh, my family was quite impressed at the fact for the past five months during like quarantine, I haven't touched a video game because they thought that I would be just in front of my my <laughs> yeah, TV playing too. games. <laughs> but they thought they thought so. But what I did during yeah. COVID was I started my own magazine. It's like mm-hmm. sort of like online blog thing, and oh, my focus wow, okay. was to basically write about um, creatives, and I called it the relevant agency because I feel like a lot of creatives in the industry are being passed off as irrelevant like oh you're a photographer you just take photos oh you're a stylist you just put clothes on people i think what's wrong especially i wouldn't say it's wrong but what's missing in vancouver is there is not a reliable source in terms of giving people resources and what it means to be in the fashion industry how to think creatively or how to use your resources wisely when you have limited time so i wanted to give that to the audience by writing about these creatives so i wrote about a really famous photographer. His name is Connor Cunningham. Uh, Connor Cunningham. He worked with Cole Sprouse and a lot of really huge brands. Nice. So I wrote yeah. about him. I wrote about my friend Jason Sue, who is a local fashion designer. I walked oh, I out to talk. I, I follow. Yes. I follow his IG. Mm-hmm. Great tailoring, amazing um, eye for detail. Jason's just impeccable. And then I also talked about um, Not It Co. with Kathy great very young talented designer so i ended up talking with a lot of these other people which was which was amazing because i i like i feel like i again like my social skills got better when i started working in retail but naturally i'm very awkward but doing all of these sort of we um, can't tell we couldn't tell right now you're doing great i can sort of i can sort of relate because that's i yeah the same for me as well but yeah continue with the story we'll talk about that later (laughs) but yes but basically like my networking skills have definitely grown significantly Mm -hmm. after covid so like during covid and a little bit after covid so i would say like covid has been treated i think covid treated me well yeah that's great to hear. Sounds like it. You're doing yeah. way better than I am. I'm, I'm here stressing out and eating way too much. And yeah, yeah. And it, it sounds I like... ate way too much. I know I gained weight. <laughs> I feel like everyone's doing this. I'm not going to hide it. Everyone's allowed to gain weight, okay? Especially if the gyms are closing down, we have an excuse to eat because we can't go work out. Yeah. Yeah, but uh, this but whole no, thing but... happened right after like the holidays and it happened yeah. right after Chinese New Year. So everyone gained weight. Yes, oh. absolutely. But <laughs> It's funny because like you, you basically were able to expand your social circle when everyone complaining right now about the lack of social interaction. So no, that that sounds that's really impressive. That sounds really good. Yeah, and it seems like you you've been that. using your time very well uh, during COVID. And I've heard a lot of people again they complain about oh I'm so bored and stuck at home. But it seems like you're you're being very productive, and that's really really good to hear. Um, and then just just by saying you know talking about yourself, I, you're you're an intro, introvert, right? I think I think yeah. many people fail don't think <laughs> that I am, but I tell people like I'm a very well practiced introvert because I have oh. extroverted parents. And yeah. I mean I'm gonna go over yeah. it when you guys ask me about my childhood. But mm-hmm. my parent, I grew up with my parents attending multiple parties, and they would berate me for being 
I don't know oh what the God. term is in English. Yeah. They would call me supado, which kind of translates to somebody uh -huh. who it's just like you seem very rude. So oh. they would say like they so, would be so like you, Sorry, what, what's the term again? So you say soplado. Soplado. So it's like S U P L A D O. It's just like and it's also because I have a natural bitch face. So as a kid, I you would see I show people my kid photos. They're like, you yeah. look angry in every photo. <laughs> <laughs> and it's and then my so my parents would be like you have to be nicer to your aunties. <laughs> oh no, the struggle is real. I, honestly, I'm the same. Um, and and like you said, um, I also learned how to socialize with people uh, through working retail because I was a uh, naturally introvert as well. I feel like we have a very similar um, you know uh, background, a child, uh, especially uh, growing up uh, as a kid. Um, mm -hmm. we, we we you know we face similar things. So yeah, we love to. When we talk about your childhood, we'd love to hear more about it. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Well, that's a, another good segue. I mean, mm -hmm. yeah, Rowena, yeah. let's let's hear about your childhood. Like we we well, first of all, uh, you know, we we tell, told our listeners you're Asian. Uh, we didn't tell them like what your ethnicity or yeah. your background is, but perhaps you mm -hmm. can tell us and then let us know kind of where yeah. you were born. Uh, what is your background? So um, let's start off first with my last name. So my last name is Ong, but it kind of throws people off sometimes because I know it's a pretty common Southeast Asian name, but there's a lot of us in the Philippines. But if I came, when I came here, um, people just assume that I'm Chinese. So I have to explain to people, my last name is Filipino Chinese. If I was full Chinese, my last right. name would be called Wong. But mm, okay. um, we don't really identify with being like Filipino Chinese too much. I'm a little mm -hmm. bit detached from my Chinese yeah. side of my family. Right. So okay. yes, I am Filipino. And then very much along the Asian-ish theme of discovering <laughs> like your identity or having to reconcile with your identity. Um, I'm Filipino, but I was born in Middle East. I was born and raised in Kuwait wow. for about, yeah, 13 years. Okay. So, my parents like lived... Yes. So my parents both <laughs> do speak Arabic fluently. So mm, when they okay. do get mad at me, they do throw a shade at me in three different languages. <laughs> oh. Like, wow. if my dad is yelling at me in Arabic, yeah, he's mad. Okay, but you understand Arabic too, right? Do I don't, don't understand. I don't speak it. I okay. can only read it, and I can okay. only read and write it. So I remember there was a time. I think. I think my like my dad would let me read documents because he doesn't mm -hmm. understand them. So I would read that to him, and then he would understand it and translate it back. Oh, cool, uh, man! Yeah, you you were so, literally like his like, trans his Google translator, kind of. Yeah, <laughs> well, I mean, not really. We were working together. I was the one just mm -hmm. like configuring all the letters, and then he, I don't know what the words meant because, mm -hmm. funny enough, it's like the way I describe my childhood was. Although I grew up in Middle East, I live in a very multicultural area mostly surrounded by filipinos but mostly also surrounded by indian like like indian people and thai people so i grew up eating a lot of thai food so that's one thing here in vancouver is i couldn't find good thai food and they're like this thai food is great no i grew up eating thai food you can't oh, tell me that's totally, good. totally okay. agree with you i went to phuket a couple of years ago and like that was when i had real thai food mm -hmm. i was like vancouver thai food is is not is it, it's oh. too it's too catered like it's kind of like the old chinese food where it's too catered to western palate 
So it lost oh a lot God. of that uh, originality. Shoot, really? I have no it's idea. It's not spicy enough. Nope. Oh, it's not, not spicy, spicy enough. enough. Oh, okay. It's not using the right ingredients. They use, oh, you know, like no Thai or whatever as ketchup. And I, I don't oh, know. Oh, I hate that. I hate that so <laughs> much. When yeah. I, ketchup when tomato like, sauce. Yeah. Yeah. One of the things my mom would joke about was when she was pregnant with me, that was all that she ate. She craved Thai food a lot. So mm -hmm. I grew up eating a lot of it because that's all yeah. I want to eat. Yeah. And yeah, that's what happened when I moved here. I was like, oh my God, this Thai food has ketchup. Like, and then I looked at my, my parents when we first moved here, we were like, we put ketchup in our bad Thai? And it was like, I don't, I don't want to. And then, yeah, so I grew up in that sort of neighborhood. Um, but I was an only child. And, but I wouldn't say that I never went contrary to the sort of, like sort of stereotype that I wouldn't know what it's like to have siblings. They're wrong. I grew up in a sort of tenant house. So it was a um, two floor apartment in Middle East. So there's two floors, but they would break it down into having multiple, it's supposed to only have like two rooms, but they broke it down into having almost like two, four. So six families basically live with us. Wow. And I was the eldest in that household. And I ended up, I was like in those, in that household, they would have about, three other there would be like three families and they had three kids of their own and that includes me that includes the neighbors they're all filipino i grew okay. up with them so basically until like for the longest time i would end up taking care of for about four to nine kids almost every day wow. that's wow. a lot of work that's crazy we yeah. did have a we did have a housekeeper who helped us i remember all of their names uh -huh. because i was so close with them okay. um like and so I, she like she can't take care of all those kids at once, but I would help around and just make sure I'm playing with them. Some, and then when I learned how to cook, I started cooking for them. And then usually in the morning, they would jump on my bed. They're like, come play with us or I'm hungry. And I was nine or 10. Wow. And wow. then every every ride home is mm -hmm. chaotic. It's I remembered one of the things that, made me laugh i already i already crack it to them often because it's so vivid in my mind um do you guys remember velcro backpacks when yes. you can adjust the strap with the velcro yes, yes, um yeah. these two so there's two girls i took care of them since they were basically babies but they leaned back on their backpack and then on their way out their hair <laughs> both of them got stuck on one backpack and so like the entire <laughs> trip i had to like slightly oh like rip it off of your head Oh. And then when they got off the bus, their parents are like, what did you do? Why are they both crying? And then I showed them the backpack. It just has all their hair. Oh, my, oh my God. God. That was Yeah. So that's like my very chaotic childhood, but I loved it. And that's one thing that I noticed, too, like with the generation of kids now. And then like I had a lot of fun playing a lot. I may not have grown up in a park, but I grew up in. Like we would play hide and seek in one building. So I would be hiding from the 12th floor, somebody would be hiding in the eighth floor and we had walkie talkies. Like playing was a lot of fun. Uh -huh. Yeah, that sounds really fun. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I, and, and that's interesting yeah. because like, you know, my my dad or my parents, they, that's how they grew up. They grew up in like apartment buildings, right? And towers. like mm -hmm. my dad uh, grew up in like a police dormitory because my grandfather was a police officer and they would just play with all the other kids like in the, in the courtyard or like in the in apartment areas. So it's, it's funny, like now we talk about like, oh, we need all the space for kids to play. And it's like, well, kids will find things to play or find areas to play 
You know, they're they're creative. They're going to to work with what they have. Uh, you know, they're, definitely they're like a lot of green space in in parts of Asia, and people will make do what they do. I think so. Yeah. And then other than that, I would say the next. I mean, the only thing that I would like, contrary to popular belief about, like, not popular but stereotypical belief of Middle mm -hmm. East, mm -hmm. Kuwait is like one of the richest countries in the world. By the time I was living there, they were owning 15% of the world's oil in the fifth richest mm, country. Yeah. They were, mm -hmm. I could be wrong. If anybody's listening, I could be wrong. If they know, <laughs> we're not gonna fact they check can you. correct we're not gonna me. Fact check you. But <laughs> when I was there at 2000, if you want to know, if I was there in 2007, one dinar was $4 Canadian. That's the exchange rate. Yeah. Mm. yeah, yeah. So they were pretty, and like when you're driving on the streets, seeing like luxury cars was such a norm. And um, the only thing I remembered as well was being there in 2003 when Iraq was trying to invade Kuwait again. Yeah. Mm -hmm. oh, so oh, okay. I were lived there through, I was there and um, like I lived through, like we had to do like the sort of drills when you hear air raid yeah. sirens. Right. Oh, and then and that's what, yeah, that's what I remembered yeah. as well. Other than that, um, I would say Kuwait was a great time for me to fuel a lot of my imagination in play. And then I think it's going to also veer off on how I ended up discovering my sort of style. Yeah. But, yeah. Oh, but I, I guess my question, my question I wanted to ask was like, how, how was it like growing up as a Filipino in the Middle East? Right. I mean, you know how we talk about being Asianist is like being, uh, you know, for me being Chinese and like growing up in, in Canada, Western culture, there's the adjustments to local traditions. And then also my family having Chinese traditions that others may not understand. Did, did you kind of had to deal with that in terms of the local customs, which I know there's quite a bit of. And then also you guys trying to uh, still uh, do or, or enforce some of your own Filipino uh, original original traditions. And customs um well i would say i ended up being able to adjust better to being into those filipino customs because when i was in kuwait i first attended a british private school for uh, like for kindergarten so that's how i ended up um refining my english and then mm -hmm. well i learned english first Thank you, Sesame Street. So yeah. I earned, I learned <laughs> yeah. English first, and then um, I switched into a Filipino private school. So Philippine International English School. So that reads as Pais, which is really funny. And then we would call ourselves Pisons, which is weird. Pisons. Now that I think about it. <laughs> I know. Pisons. Everybody has a fact. <laughs> I know. It's weird. But there were two Filipino um, international schools, and I ended up in that one. And then um, there I learned, I learned basically a lot of what it means to be Filipino, but I still struggled to fit in with my community because a lot of the people who were there were born in the Philippines, but I was born in Kuwait. We were quite relatively rare. The only ones that were born in Kuwait were ones that were younger, but the older kids around the kids my age were born in the Philippines. Oh, and okay. then, so I remembered one time, because um, I listened, like thanks to my dad because he's a hipster he doesn't admit it i started listening to yeah i know he introduced me to lincoln park and i was eight years old at the time Wait, wow your and dad introduced you to lincoln old. park damn yeah not, not, wow not the other way around okay well, I, your I dad has a very good taste in music we still share music yeah. to this day wow. and um amazing and what happened was i remember like 
I was the only kid with an MP3 player, and everybody wanted to listen to my music. Then mm-hmm. they loved Linkin Park. But then I remembered one kid's like, "Yo, everything in your music is all American music. Why don't you listen to Filipino music more?" <laughs> wow, you got called out. I got called out because here's the thing. I did not become fluent in Tagalog until I moved to Canada. I was, my Tagalog was atrocious. So I tell people like, if I'm Filipino and I understood Filipino culture, like I did traditional dancing, I know mm-hmm. traditional some traditional music and the history, like I can recite the history, but language was something I struggled with because I was always getting called out by my peers. And it mm-hmm. wasn't until I moved here that I was able to practice it proudly because mm. I was around people that encouraged me to keep using yeah. it. Because yeah. I failed Filipino twice. Like my Arabic excelled <laughs> completely, like 98% perfect. Wow. But Filipino, Probably. I was failing. Well, that's like and, me right now oh. with like, you know, like Chinese, like Cantonese and English, right? My English is way better. And then if I speak Cantonese and I go to Hong Kong, people know I'm not from there just because the way mm. I talk, I don't use the slang. I don't know some of the local dialects or some of the things they say. It, it's abs- it's the same, so I, I totally get it. But it, I just find it very funny. It's like um, you move to Canada to learn you know, your, your, your language and, and pick up the Filipino culture. So I, I thought that's very interesting. Um, <laughs> but I wouldn't yeah. say, I, I don't wanna say that I picked up the Filipino culture here because I feel like, Every, like the, like I said, like the history and the story, like the whole story of how Philippines came to be was, uh, I learned it when I was there. Even like yeah. the old, like the classic literature I learned there. Um, just the language is something that I always struggled with. But when I moved here, my grand aunt, so my cousin's grandmother mm-hmm. um, was living with us and she doesn't speak a lick of English. And she just kept saying, like, your daughter doesn't speak any Tagalog at all? I'm not going to talk to her unless she speaks to me in Tagalog. So I was like, okay, Mm, I'm going to try my best. (laughs) So that was basically, so, yeah, that's pretty much, I think, think so to answer your question, really, I think my whole life is having to reconcile with what my identity of an Asian is because I'm like, I'm not Asian enough or am I Western mm-hmm. enough? I mean, you're not really Filipino because you grew up in Kuwait. And I tell people half jokingly, like I'm a simulated Filipino. Because uh, I grew up in the simulation. Right. Okay. Private Filipino private school, but it's situated in the middle Middle East, right? Well, that's, right. that's interesting. Yeah. I guess so, that brings me to my so, next yeah. question. Yeah. So honestly, there's so many, so much uh, interesting stories about you growing up in the Middle, middle East. So um, my question was like, okay, when did you uh, move to Canada and did you experience any, any um, you know, struggles or, or challenges in your first couple of years in Canada? Like, what was it like? I struggled, but I embraced it. So if I had to talk to my 14 yeah. year old self, I would say you're cringy as shit, but oh, I yeah. applaud you. Because <laughs> I, when I, right? okay, no, 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 I was in, this was 2007. This mm-hmm. is like Avril Lavigne, girlfriend. Skater boy. Oh, this is past skater boy. This is girlfriend. Oh, this is girlfriend. Okay. This is girlfriend with <laughs> Lil Mama. This is like this yeah. time. And there yeah. was just like, 
it's and then it's like my chemical romance so when i first moved here oh my god i still think yeah. i remembered my first outfit like i want to i want to scream but it was a solid okay, time about my chemical romance are you are you is your outfit i'm just imagining like some hot topic kind of thing maybe <laughs> <laughs> i'm gonna take that as a yes it did not have hot topics so i may do i bought from the men's section from h&m so i got myself oh. some cargo pants mm -hmm. i got like that collared shirt but then i had those fingerless gloves but they were striped and they go oh, up to like, oh, I, I can imagine yeah. the outfit right now i can oh, just my gosh. imagine <laughs> i had the razor haircut like Oh, yeah. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Oh, the hairspray to get make sure it all stays in place. You've got that. Yeah. Gotta get that look. Hairspray. My hair was so mm -hmm. thick, but it was just like here, and then I had the skull clips. That was my first outfit going to a Western <laughs> high school. I did get a lot of looks, but I didn't. I think like I really didn't care because yeah. I think what uh, in I think growing up in again, I feel silly having to always retract it back to Kuwait because it's all going to end up tying together is yeah. in Kuwait I learned how to kind of refine my sort of I'd be able to learn how to refine in my sort of identity because I realized it's what made me sort of me I was in that sort of phase Avril Lavigne did a lot of things to me and then if you feel all that with <laughs> anime it just turns into this like blame weird Avril. I would blame Avril yeah. Lavigne. Yeah. But no, no, actually, you made a really interesting point, and I think it's a really good point to to explain to to listeners and and just uh, people in general. Is I find that people in a, a, a different country that have never experienced a certain culture, they look at a culture or a country as this whole monolithic piece. I mean, this is the whole thing we talk about: how everyone thinks all Asians are the same, but you talk about how in Kuwait you've that's where you actually identified and uh, got the your 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 start to develop your own identity whereas most people think of, oh in the middle east everyone's the same like what identity everyone's just covered up so it sounds it's really interesting you brought that up it's like hey this because of my upbringing in the middle east it got me to canada where i could dress how i like and i didn't mm -hmm. care what other people yeah. think i i think that's really that's really cool and that's really interesting mm -hmm. I think I was just also more so disappointed at some people here because I'm just saying like I mean they dress well like I'm not women like I'm not gonna like express any internalized misogyny like uh -huh. whatever they wore I think it was cool for the time but I, I remember like watching a lot of these teen dramas and seeing how people dress and then I come here I'm like it's nothing like that no, and they just no, wear their pajamas to school yeah, people wearing pajamas. Like, yeah, yeah. The, the most stylish thing was like an Mark Echo hoodie. You know, everybody wanted the Rhino. I still remember that. Those, like that was the that was the peak. That was the peak of style back in high school. Oh my gosh, I remembered also like the TNA pants with the Uggs. But don't get me wrong, Uggs are comfortable. But I wouldn't okay. wear them outside. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But yeah. other than well, that, well, no, no, no. Yeah, I that's that, basically tell that, to most, tell that to most people in, in Vancouver. You know, Uggs. Yeah. <laughs> Don't wear your Uggs in the snow. What are you thinking? Do you want to get frostbite right? on your feet? <laughs> oh my gosh. Uh, buy yourself some nice pair of Doc Martens. Do your feet a favor. They've done nothing wrong. That's basically exactly. It. Yeah. Sorry. Yeah. Yeah, no, 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 that's great. We want it. We want to hear those hot takes, and so you know, you let us know. You grew up in Vancouver, uh, then you got into this Avril Lavigne phase. But yeah, like how? I guess at what point did you kind of get yourself down the track of hey, like 
where did it connect with your current um, career? Right, you, you you're here in school. Like, what did Avro convince you to like, you know, go down the the path of like fashion and style, <laughs> or like what what made you um, start to develop that? Um, I mean, apart from Avril, I was just pretty much growing up in the beginnings of internet culture. So this was dial-up internet, YouTube without the ads. Mm -hmm. yep. oh, yeah. And then Yahoo Music was a thing, people. Like you guys, that was I loved Yahoo Music as a kid. I remember that so much because all it did was stream music videos. But anyway, internet culture. I um, got a lot into anime. And then I ended up really tapping into a lot of culture that wasn't really um, tactile to me living in Kuwait. It's really because the thing is, even though I grew up within my circle, the pro like the, I would say I would say it's a problem. But um, because I was so young, my family wasn't comfortable with me really, really going outside of that circle. So my circle of the Filipino community was all I knew. But Internet ended up being a sort of window to the outside. Yeah. And it then fashion, like orders, right? yeah. It, it, yeah, it basically did. So the best way for me to summarize it was fashion became a sort of way of exploring this inner world that I wanted to discover about myself. Mm -hmm. So, and then I always knew that I was going to, I also wanted to emulate these characters that was so into fashion. I don't know why, but my, like in my mind, it was just inherently connecting with these characters because I remembered all these internet games well anyway and i really got into wanting to create my own clothes because in kuwait um i couldn't go shopping as often and all the clothes that i wanted were the ones that i envisioned in my mind so if i wasn't gonna have it in person or in a store i learned how to make it by myself and that's how i ended up learning fashion sort of like fashion hacking i wouldn't call it fashion design so i learned that mm -hmm. through the internet basically and that okay. carried on throughout my life. And then it carried me into going into art school because I thought I was going to be going into sort of like illustrator, illustration, learning how to be an illustrator. But right. instead, I really liked the idea of storytelling and storytelling through symbols. So I decided to go into animation. It's also uh -huh. because I really like playing video games. So I thought yeah. I was going to end up being a character designer for Ubisoft. So, oh, I see. Yeah, I learned. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Well, I think so, that's, that's cool. Really cool. Like, like you got your inspiration from, uh, yeah, your video games, and you're you're talking about uh, like not having access to certain styles or materials that you decided to create your own. I think this is something that we see more and more common nowadays. Again, uh, that like some designers, every time you hear about them, it's like, how did you get your start? And they're like, yeah, it was like you know, in my own room, I I screen printed t-shirts and stuff like that like it's because people are always like what i want does not exist so therefore i need to go and make it through my own means i think that's really cool i remember i remember also oh, one of the things that i got excited for when i first moved here was libraries in kuwait i didn't i really again like i couldn't travel outside much but my parents were more comfortable with me being like being able to explore my neighborhood more so i was able to walk all the time to the library and then I would always come home with so much books. So my parents got me mm -hmm. a large tote bag and I would fill it to the brim. And I mm -hmm. would have so many different types of books. And then it would also have books on fashion designing, how to sew, how to hand sew, and how to draft your own patterns. And that's how I learned. Okay. Yeah. Wow, that's interesting. 
So um, mm-hmm. yeah, that's super interesting. But how did uh, your parents think? Uh, you know, I feel like uh, you, you've already decided what you want to do. Uh, you know, to be um, something to do with fashion or, or design. But how did your parents take it? Are they supportive, or did they want you to do something else? Uh, yeah. Both of my parents are optometrists. I think the running joke okay. was they thought I was gonna be one. Ah. <clears throat> Excuse me. So they thought I was gonna be one. Um, but again, we're Filipino, so they highly encourage mm-hmm. becoming a nurse. And okay. like, <laughs> we we all know one Filipino nurse in our friend circle. That's yeah. how many yeah. there are. And I thought I was gonna be one too. So mm-hmm. for a pe- but I again, I think there's just this inherent extraness of me as well that says like I'm not gonna be like you guys I'm gonna be something cooler you know what yeah. fuck this I'm gonna become an army <laughs> an army doctor that's what army I actually doctor. did oh. wanted to do yeah. okay so like, I'm gonna be I I'm want- gonna be I'm gonna be something different I'm gonna, I'm gonna be counterculture <laughs> <laughs> I want to be ed- I like I want to be a nurse but like the edgy nurse I'm gonna be an yeah. army yeah. that's like in my army mind nurse. that sounds really cool so, so I, I guess maybe just for my own learning and maybe some other listeners is is there a reason why, like this, you know, it's a stereotype or the perception that like every, like a lot of Filipinos are nurses or want to be nurses? Like, wh- why is that? I'm gonna summarize this. People can correct me. I could be wrong. In the 1940s, because we were also invaded during World War Two, right? Yeah. By the yeah. Japanese. Yeah. And one of the things that the Americans assured Amer- the Filipinos to. Um, get them to support them during this war uh, was they said like um, you could either be a soldier or you could be a nurse and then by being so it can also help assure them an American citizenship but basically you're set for life it created that sort of mindset that if you do this your hours are great and you're set for life so that's why that culture of being a nurse is ingrained because it's just a great safety net for anybody that was experiencing poverty, which is a lot, especially in the Philippines. Right. Yeah. Oh, as so it's, from, it's interesting to hear because it's like it's. Yeah, I mean, if you think about it, World War II, 1945, or post World War II, 1950s, till now, like that trend has not stopped. Like that mindset has ingrained into the culture for so long, right? Well, yeah. I feel like if I had to talk about Filipino culture, we're going to have to have another podcast on that. We'll have a part two. We'll have a part two. No, as well. Yeah. But other than that, like, I thought I was going to be an army nurse, like an army doctor. Mm-hmm. And then or something along with I, I really like detective stories. So even forensics was interesting, even though people told me that it's really boring, like learning it's of it, I think would be interesting. You should be, you would be surprised. There's a lot of things that people think to find very boring that I genuinely end up finding interesting. Again, I just think maybe it's the part of my brain that says like, I want to be different. But I think also I just withhold this really strong curiosity for a lot of things. And so um, what happened, what made me change in that my idea was I always really like reading. I also really like creating characters, not just designing clothes, but creating characters on paper. I like storytelling. I was really big into art and English. Mm-hmm. And sometimes, and um, what happened? Oh, right, I got really sick. I forgot that. So I got really sick when I was 16, I believe. Um, I ended up losing a kidney. Oh, wow. Oh, wow. Did not, load, did not know that. Yeah, I did not know that, too. 
<laughs> so um, I think at that point in my brain, I'm just like, if ever, I, I think I was 16 and still thinking about potentially being like that person. And I'm just mm. like, I think I'm going to be too much of a liability. So I, and then, but by being sick, I also really embrace a lot of my internal interests and things that I'm really passionate mm-hmm. about. Yeah. And so I diverged from that. And my parents in the beginning were not as supportive because they're not very familiar with a lot of people that have been successful in that field. And the only person that they knew that went into fashion design ended up working a managerial position at Apple. That's one of the things that they would tell me, like, look at her, she went there. Now she's a manager at Apple. <laughs> Wait, they, they the earned they, they how it applies to everybody, right? Like that's what everybody loves right. to do. They love to generalize. Yeah, yeah, basically. And so they told me that and I was really hesitant about being a fashion designer. And so um, the compromise was to go into art school because it can diverge into a lot of things. And my dad also knew one of the things that I was interested in was historical architecture as well, because it's one of the things that again, I like learning a lot of really weird things. So that was one of the things I thought I was going to get into. So I went into art school to try to really get a grasp of the sort of thing that I want to understand. And by the mm-hmm. t- end of my first year, I was like, I really want to get more into character design. Right. Where, where did you where did you go to school, Rowena? I went into Emily Carr. Emily Carr. Like Emily Carr University of Art and Design, basically hipster central. Yeah. A <laughs> lot of weird shit happened there. Listeners, listeners who don't know Emily Carr, it is a uh, famous and probably the biggest like, kind of like art school mm-hmm. in yep. uh, in Vancouver, uh, named after a, a very famous local artist. Uh, there's, you know, there's... You've got quite a big new campus now, but a lot of the local art scene has come from that school or a lot of the kind of the the styles and inspirations have come from that school. Mm. Also, I would say also to the listeners, if you do want to go to art school, just make sure that you understand that applying into one is really more so an investment. Really research and make sure that you're going to go mm-hmm. there to get what you want because I would say Emily Carr was a great experience for me, but and it was a great experience for me academically, but in terms of um, workshops, it was one of those things that were very staggered because I feel like it ended up focusing too much on the academic part. But other than that, um, Emily Carr was probably the place that helped me understand that I really probably needed to return to fashion. No, that's good. Sometimes, sometimes it's going good. through the process to to learn, not necessarily what you learn in school, but just going through the process of school to know what you like and don't like. Um, that's certainly what I did when I went through engineering. To I, I didn't know what engineering I wanted to do, but I knew what I didn't like, and at least like if by going through the process, I could like eliminate them. So, no, I think well, that's cool. like because. Um, I think I'm going to end up answering one of your questions that you're going to have. It's basically how I ended up being a fashion stylist. I was going to ask that too, but yeah. <laughs> it's intrinsically tied. Yeah. But the reason why was um, in my school, um, we kind of, it's basically um, animation is under the Department of Media Arts. So under anim- Media Arts is animation and film. So we end up often having the same academic classes together, like film history, animation history, like all of that all that stuff. And um, one of the people in my theory class, he was a film director. And then he basically made a shout out saying, "Um, if anybody wants to support me in my film, I would love the support, I would love the help. And 
it was around a time when I wasn't doing so well mentally and emotionally because I was coming through a really difficult time. And my therapist was the one that suggested that weren't you doing commissions for your friends for cosplay? I know you do these cosplay things. So yes, I use a cosplay. Please don't judge me. It was a great way for me to understand in we, costume we design. We don't judge. We don't no judge, judge here. here. Okay. It's a safe <laughs> space. Whatever your hobby is, it's a safe space. Yeah. So I ended up, but basically I knew how to design a character and that's what he needed he needed a costume designer so after he pitched that i asked him like okay um i have experience making costumes like i can definitely help you in this area and so i ended up being a costume designer for my first film which was um it's called the blue jet and it's i just ended up being thrown into the ocean of fashion styling for mm -hmm. film because um, if anybody is listening, fashion styling for film is an entirely different beast than saying you're a costume designer. Try like to differentiate between both of them. But in know. this yeah. one particular film, I had to end up being both because it's entirely independent. And not only was it independent, it was a film set in Taiwan in the 70s. So it was a period film. So I was just like, oh, shit how am i going to capture all of these characters and create like mm -hmm. this sense of realness for the viewers and i had to look you up Taiwan. Culture, and... right? i did i had to look up taiwanese history just to understand <laughs> wow wow <laughs> you're, you're like and... i i wanted to go into fashion you know or design mm -hmm. to learn about design i didn't have to go take up history again you know yeah but that's the thing like everyone if if you're gonna ask like anybody who is going to be in my role someday it's a lot of research it's a lot of talking back and forth with your leaders it's like mm -hmm. is this outfit correct is this how you see your character and then it'd be like not really it's like a lot of grabbing a lot of options and doing a lot of research and empathizing right. with your script that's what i tell film stylists or costume designers to do even though they're two different roles yeah, so when i point. ended so i ended up learning Taiwanese history about what they were like in the 70s, but I could not find any strong images to help grasp the crowds of the time. Mm -hmm. And then it was around, I know they were filming in January and it's already December. I'm like, shit, I haven't done my shopping yet. I haven't designed any of the clothes yet. What am I gonna do? And my family's like, well, we're going to go to the States to see your grandma and your grandpa, well, grand and grand uncle. Yeah. Like we're gonna go see them. And I'm like, oh my God, they have outfits like of them in the 70s this is perfect so i basically Wait, are they, were they from outfits. taiwan were they from taiwan no no no, no but um basically i just needed an idea of what oh, asian idea. culture looked like in the okay, 70s okay. right, right. <clears throat> but and then i also looked through the director's photos of his family mm -hmm. so i ended up taking lots of photos so it ended up being like a lot of the big hair the big yeah, ass lapels yes. the white like mm -hmm. oh my god the bell bottom jeans i died yeah. and it was so funny too because <laughs> This was like two years before 70s fashion became so much into yeah. trend. Yeah. And so I ended up doing all of this. It was a lot of fun. I learned, I also had to dye shirts. I had to make chains for these cats. It was, it, it, was the, it, it was the busiest three weeks of my life, but I loved every single minute of it. And then by the end of it, I ended up supporting a film and won my first best film under my wow. list of awards. So I won best film in my school, mm -hmm. but I also ended up winning both, like best best uh, short film in Whistler, Taiwan and in Canada, mm -hmm. like the whole of Canada. 
that's that's really amazing. Um, is there any way that we can watch this clip anywhere that uh, you know? Yeah, we can I would see love to see it. Too. <laughs> yeah. Okay, I know I'm talking this up. I mean, I'm yeah. proud of it, but I'm looking back at my styling. I'm like, Ugh. no, no, it's okay, it's okay. It was your first <laughs> but, gig, right? Was it your it was first, uh, first film gig. gig, right? So yeah, I mean, love to see it. Um, it sounds like you. You know, I was gonna ask you like, since you you studied, um, you know. You, you didn't study like designing, right? And you know, and Emily Carr, but this is such a completely new field. And then you talk, I was gonna ask you, how did you acquire all the skills to, to, to be able to do what you do? But I guess you already answered it, lots of research. That's what you did, which is very important. You wanna get the costume right. Um, is there any, any other skills required to, to do what you do? I would say really basic sewing skills. Sewing and skills, I think, yeah. I would also say though for me, because again, like I always had this feeling in my like in my mind about mm -hmm. what I what it is that I was supposed to do, but I could never fully grasp it. Even yeah. now I feel like I've never I haven't really fully grasped it. And so a lot of my life ended up leading me up into where I am mm -hmm. because like right. I said, like growing up as a kid, I was learning how to sew by myself oh. through books. Right. And then I would yeah. learn, how, I would teach myself how to use the sewing machine and I took up sewing classes in high school. But anybody who wants to be a costume designer, just again to answer the question, mm -hmm. basic sewing skills, great research. And as long as you're willing to learn and take a lot of criticism, because if you want to work oh. in films specifically, time is money. The yeah. And I know like a lot of yelling will happen on set. Just take it, <sighs> take it and go. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Learning to criticism, and you know, you, you this especially in Vancouver, the film industry is so big, right? So, um, sure. you know, to get into it, yeah, it's a lot of work, a lot of understanding. But so yeah, so like you told us, you know, this is like your your first foray into it, where you know you're doing people a favor and you kind of learn. So that kind of was like, okay, I, hey, I've done this, I've proven myself, I'm gonna go and do it now. Like, what was like, you know, what was the conversation like to tell friends and family? especially you know like like we said the filipino culture is so ingrained to you have to do nursing or you do a certain field what was it like to tell them that you're gonna you're now pursuing something that is frankly not not a very asian common asian uh career i feel like i think my family started being a lot more eased into it like she's already in art school but the fact that I ended up winning this much was one of those things where like, wow, I think she can actually do it. And in my yeah. mind, I was just like, you know what? I think I want to be the first Filipino, like, I don't want, I, that's one thing that I always think about too, is I don't want people to think so much of my creative origins to always just come from my background of being either too Asian or too Western. I just want them to respect the creative integrity that I own. So yeah. that's, so I wanted to be the first in that. I want to be the first Filipino doing like something really prestigious in fashion, but I don't want it to encompass the entire thing. And doing those sort of things ended up making me feel like I can really do this. And however, it ended up having a big plot twist. So I, even though I was doing relatively well as a film stylist, because it got to the point where every film I worked with kept getting nominated. I ended up failing my last term in university. Wait, what? <laughs> Wait, was it because yeah. you spent too much time? You just spent too much time yeah. on, on all this extra work? Yeah, yeah. this is like, I think this is one of those things like where my mom was right, that things that you're inherently passionate about, you're going to make time for. So you will, that's why they say like, learn how to manage your time better. 
So I wasn't able to manage my time to finish my thesis in a proper way. And it was my uh, my mentor who I really looked up to still, Ruben, my teacher, he said like, look, I know you can do so much better. Like I've seen what you do in film, like when you make these costumes, if you could just apply it into your final thesis in the following year, because I had to repeat, I had to go repeat the year again, I'm sure you can graduate, just focus on graduating. And then after that, you're free and you can do anything that you wanted to do. And but my parents were devastated, like so the angriest I've ever seen them. They're like, you're not graduating on time. You failed. <laughs> did, you, did your dad oh, yell at you in yeah. Arabic? Did he, did he, uh, no, did he throw was, the Arabic at you? <laughs> uh, no, but it was more heartbreaking for me because my mom was so excited and she had to rescind all of the graduation invitations. Oh, like, yeah. yeah. So you probably so, had family that were going to come in and visit yeah. and, and do it, and yeah. you had to go through yeah. the process of telling them, it's like, hey, right. we're going to delay it, right? Yeah. Yep. And how, but then this is like one of those things that lit a fire under my ass. But how in my mind, I was thinking, like, how am I going to reconcile this while trying to also figure out what it is that I'm truly meant to do? And then my my family's like, look, you're not gonna like we've already covered your ass for university for the last term. You're gonna end up paying <laughs> for your school. And I'm like, oh crap. So this is the yeah. year I ended up working like four to six jobs almost. Yeah. So I would end up going to work with my mom in the clinic, and then I would go to my lectures. Like so, I would be early morning with my mom in the clinic at eight finish at 10, go to school at 11, and then I finish school at five, go to work at six, finish at nine. That's crazy. Yeah. It wow. seems like you, you spend a lot of time now, um, you know, uh, working, but it's like, okay, before you spent a lot of time in uh, film and you're, you're a gig and then you didn't have time for school, but now you're, you're having, you're spending more time at work, but how does that help with your schoolwork? How do you balance it's, that? It's a lot of, basically this yeah. whole year, I feel like I ended up losing a lot of opportunities. Like I was yeah. hurt, like I was hurting on the inside because I was losing oh. all of these gigs. These people were asking me to help them with their film and yeah. they really wanted me to work with them. But I was just like, I can't. Um, I have to really focus on graduating. However, um, around this time, I ended up working as a fashion designer assistant. And then I told myself, I'm never going to be a fashion designer ever. That was horrible. Oh. It's a hair pulling. I can't do it. Well, you went I, through the experience and you learned, right? So that, that's what I we learned. But I think around this point, because in my mind, and even in high school, I knew I wanted to be a creative director. But by being it, I learned I can be a creative director. I just don't think I want to work on the manufacturing fashion designers end because that was a pain in the yeah. ass. Mm -hmm. All right. Because I ended up, even though I failed, I ended up directing my first fashion show for Vancouver Fashion Week. Oh wow! So, okay. So there is still a silver lining. So genuinely, yeah. like, I'm a true believer that if you want it to work, if you want things to work, you will find a way to make it work. So yeah. I ended up working Please. as a. Uh, that was my first try as a creative director. So I ended up finding the color palette, helping design the next collection. Because what happened was in the place I was supporting, the designer did not have a collection to show for Vancouver Fashion Week and I had to figure that out in three weeks and that was horrifying that was horrifying yeah exactly but it was a crash course yeah. and then and then I think at that point again it also became that I think I can be a creative director so I think yeah, also went, even though my a lot of a lot of work though mm -hmm. oh yeah 
I hustled hard. And then um, also, but at the same time though, one of my friends, she really, really loved my work. And she said, I really want you for my film. Like I will do anything to help support your film. Just help me make my film. And I told my parents, my friend wants me to support with her film and they panicked. They're like, if this is gonna make you fail one more time, I swear to God, like a lot of yelling in the house. I was like, no, I'm just doing one film. And you're like, where is this? Where is this film even happening? Hope. And they were like, hope? And I was like, yeah, uh, you gotta drive a couple hours to get out of Vancouver to do this? It, but it was one of the other best films that I did. It was a film that was supposed to be, it's kind of like, um, um, oh my gosh. It, it kind of has like this fantasy element to it, but it was based in like this city in the middle of nowhere in the forties. Other than that, I had a lot of fun. Film also did get nominated. So that says a lot of my prowess. I can brag about that. And then, I sounds like given a lot to brag about, you know. I guess mm-hmm. like all these films, like uh, you know, they either got nominated or got recognition. So that's why a lot of people want to work with you. Um, and then, you know. so I get like for anyone who listens, really, like you, if you feel like you can do it, you just really have you. If you feel like you can do it, you can really do it. And so for me, once I graduated, it was the most liberating thing for me. Yeah, I can I was imagine, just like, yeah. I can finally do all these gigs all and all these ideas wanted. I had in my mind. Yeah. Yep. Except in my mind, I did not want to do film. It's just because the hours oh, were so okay. unhealthy. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like, I mean, I might do film yeah. again, but the hours were so unhealthy. Like, I cannot work another 11 to 6 a.m. and wake up at 8 a.m. to be back on set at 9 a.m. Yeah, it's crazy. Like, yeah. You see, like the Vancouver, like the film industry, right? Some of the people, mm-hmm. like, the shifts. Like, I've got friends who, who you know, have roles in minor parts, and sometimes they'll be there for hours waiting for that one scene, oh, yeah. and that scene oh, yeah. would just be like 30 seconds, and it'd be there. For and your hours, face may right? not even be in it. Yeah, they're yeah. they're like the, the the food is good, but I'm I'm sitting around just waiting sometimes. Uh, no, it, yeah. it's it's crazy, but uh, you know, it's funny. Like one thing, and I. Uh, I, I don't know, uh, you know, Wayne, I, I never told you, but for myself, when I was going through engineering, uh, I, I had friends who, because engineering is like, you know, like a lot of university program was four mm-hmm. years. Yeah. And then my, my, my friends wanted to do like five. They were kind of like taking it easier because they, they didn't want to do seven or eight classes in one semester. I remember going mm-hmm. to my parents because right. they were also, they had also paid for my education. Mm-hmm. And I was like, hey, like, I, I kind of want to do like one year more. I uh, you know, do a victory lap, <laughs> as people call it. I uh, just okay. do it. <laughs> you know, like like they, they do another they do another circle, do another round of, of the campus, uh, reunion tour, whatever you want to call it. And then my parents were like, "Oh, well, we're only paying for four. So if you want to do five, you got to figure out that last year." Mm-hmm. And so well, that was like that me. was where like the kind of like you right? and in the sense of like the parents were like, "Okay, you want to do what you want, but we're only gonna uh, uh, support you for this." So. Yeah. It's not like they told me that I couldn't do it, but it's also like implies in a sense it's like, well, unless you want to go pay, uh, struggle and pay for a whole year yourself, mm-hmm. then you better get that shit done. Yeah. Uh, so that wow. kind of lit, lit, lit a fire under my ass too, right? So I, I think Asian parents, um, regardless of culture, they they will find ways to push their kids. Um, sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't. But in your case, I think it definitely helped you motivate and uh, prioritize your time, right? For sure. And I think also like, I think Asian parents are not necessarily 
not it's not that they're not open to new things it's just that they're scared of things that are unfamiliar so if you could always find a way to prove them that you are if you can assure them that the things that you're doing are right they'll be okay because you know you can't just say like i'm going to straight up drop out of college but what's your yeah. plan? What are you gonna do? Exactly. What's your backup plan, right? Yeah. yeah. What's your backup plan? Like, exactly. are you just are you gonna stay with your parents the whole time? Like, that's like that's the thing that your parents are worried about because she's like, oh my god, what have I done? Okay, like if anybody's there, like you know, to eat your own. Yeah. I'm just making a joke, but honestly, like if you want, if there are larger things that you feel like you want to pursue. Just make sure that you have some sort of game plan involved if you want mm-hmm. your parents on board of the things that you want to do. Because yeah. I don't think they're not open to it. I just think that you need to show them that you have what it takes to pursue it because things that you want to pursue are never easy. Yeah, Even if you sure. want to be a nurse or a doctor, it's never easy. Definitely. And uh, Clinton and I, we actually talked about this in our previous episodes where you know, Asian parents have a lot of expectations of you. Of course, they want you to finish college. Um, they want you to, to get a certain career, such as being a doctor or just have a steady job, right? Nine to five. We talk about, you know, sometimes being an entrepreneur, it's going to be difficult. Sometimes parents are not going to accept it because they're scared that you won't be able to support yourself. So yes. being able to communicate with your parents and show them that you have a game plan, like you said, uh, Rowena, that's a very valid point. Once you're able to communicate with them, show them what you got, show them that you can make this work. I feel like, um, the Asian parents are, are they are going to accept and they're going to support you once you, you're able to, I guess, let them know and show them. Yeah, exactly. absolutely. Yeah. I, I hear a lot of like frustration complaints a lot of times. Yeah. It's like you, you go to your parents or you go to somebody and say, I want to do this. And then they argue and says, oh, I get upset when they tell me I can't do it. Well, yeah, yeah, because you just go to them saying you want A, yeah. but then you're not letting them know what the plan is to get to mm-hmm. A or mm-hmm. what happens, what's your plan B and C and so yeah. on. Right? If you yeah. don't have that, anyone's going to say no, regardless whether it's your parents or not. Uh, people are going to be naturally um, unreceptive to new ideas. You got you got to convince them to to change, right? To adjust to the new normal. So I hope everyone enjoyed that part one of our interview with Rowena. As I mentioned at the start of the episode, uh, part two will be released this Thursday. So, uh, you know, wait a couple of days and you'll get to listen more on our continuation of the interview. I hope everyone enjoyed that episode and uh, thank you for listening. As usual, you can find us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Music, and other streaming platforms. Uh, We would really appreciate if you subscribe and like our podcast it will help uh, get more recognition and attention and uh, it will help us um, you know more opportunities to record uh, you can also follow us on at asianish podcast on instagram we have our in, uh, twitter at asianish p letter p and uh, you can find us uh, you know on all the different uh, venues and you know what send us an email or a dm and let us know what you think of this uh, interview